Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Uh, just before we get into the message, we want to remind you that you can uh, open up uh, the scriptures that we're using, using the YouVersion Bible app or your scriptures uh, page Bible, I suppose. Uh, you might like turning the pages traditionally. Um, we're looking at Mark chapter 12, which is a, uh, we've kind of jumped a chapter, but we looked at chapter 11 uh, just in the lead up to Easter because that's the uh, nature of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. So you might like to be getting that ready. Uh, let's uh, just take a moment to pause and pray, and then we'll get into the message as we reflect on Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12 this week. Father, we want to uh, honour you, we celebrate you, we recognise you, we declare your glory and your love and your life over our homes, over our neighbourhoods, over our community, over our state, our nation, over our world. We confess, Father, that uh, we don't always put you first, that we don't honour you in some of our words and some of our thoughts and our behaviours. And we might be finding this particularly challenging at the moment with so many circumstances that we're facing and um, differing opinions, Father. We, we just want to submit to you. We want to hunger after you. We, we want you to pour yourself out. Uh, we want to be open to being a vessel that is filled by you, Father, so that we might uh, live according to your grace and peace and love, knowing all that you have done for us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, uh, Father, in uh, bringing testimony of your love. Uh, we pray that as we reflect and open up your word, that it would uh, sink deeply into our lives, that we would reflect honestly and openly about who you are and who we are in you and what you might be calling us to, Father. Um, yeah, Holy Spirit, we, we do pray for churches throughout this country at the moment, throughout our own region, that there just be a real outpouring of your spirit, outpouring of uh, repentance and renewal uh, of people who are living lives faithfully and, and seeking to really declare the kingdom of God, the kingdom of your goodness and love and generosity amongst us today. We do pray again that as we open your word, that it would just really speak meaningfully and deeply and richly to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as I said, uh, this passage today um, builds on Mark chapter 11, obviously, because it's Mark chapter 12. So that naturally comes after chapter 11. Um, and it was spoken, so Mark chapter 11, uh, will it's the closing statement that Jesus asked, because the Pharisees, the chief scribes, the leaders have come to Jesus and said, by what authority are you doing all these things? By what authority are you allowing all these things to happen? And Jesus asked them about John's authority. You know, was it from heaven or was it from man? And they didn't know and they debated amongst themselves. And so they turned to Jesus and said, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And so then he launches into this parable that we're about to explore. But before we explore this parable, I want to ask you, and as I've reflected on my life over this last week, as I've reflected on this story as well, what is your anchor? 
What is your anchor in, in this current season of life? What is it that grounds you? What is it that uh, gives you uh, purpose and meaning and hope and joy? I know there's a lot of uh, external kind of conversations, external pressures, external challenges, different debates happening at the moment. And in the midst of all that, I want to ask us, what grounds us, what anchors us to know who we are and to know the one whom we worship and serve and live according to his purpose. The other way I might be looking at it, what is it that aligns us? What is it that gives us uh, that direction? What is it that we know that we can put our feet towards? What is it that we can um, make sure that we're grounded in, in, in the patterns, in the paths that we walk, in the commitments that we make, in the words that we speak, the thoughts that we offer, in the conversations that we have? And how does that affect the rest of our lives? Now, I uh, got into Mark chapter 12 and I all of a sudden had this creative idea. So I know that the River Kids have done such a great job of communicating the text, but I wanted to offer a slightly different way of communicating the story. I'm going to use the uh, teach or read the scriptures, I suppose, using emojis. Now, if you're not familiar with emojis, uh, they're little figures uh, in text messages in messaging services that can communicate ideas or thoughts. So uh, it might be a different way to think about it, uh, but hopefully it helps capture something and you know, might even bring a smile to your face. Because as Lockie said, it is a pretty tough passage too. It's a pretty confronting passage. So uh, we're going to uh, explore that and I hope that you can follow along. It's in, written in your text anyway, so you'll still be able to read it if this makes no sense to you. So here's Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, according to the world of emojis. So we see uh, there is a man uh, who planted a vineyard, and around that vineyard this man put a fence, a fence that would protect it and guard it. Uh, we um, are also told he built a watchtower around it. I didn't find an emoji for a watchtower. Missed that one. But he put a fence and a watchtower around it. And he also dug a pit out in which he could put a wine press. Now, I understand that those wine presses, they put all the grapes in there. And then, of course, they'd press it all around to get the wine. Um, after some time, after he'd built and established all that, this man went on a journey and he traveled away to another country for some period of time. And that's after he put some tenants in place, of course. There, so, Think about this. He's put some tenants in place. They have come to an agreement. And after some time, he sent, this man was on his journey living away, and he sent uh, a servant to go and collect some of the fruit. Again, a key word, some of the fruit uh, in, from these tenants. An agreement had been entered into, and he sent a servant to recover or recoup that agreement that they'd obviously entered into in leasing the property. Now these servants, uh, they said no deal. Uh, they punched up, they beat the man and they sent him away. Uh, and again, we're told, so when the, the master, the man who built this vineyard had heard about this, he sent still another servant. And this servant that we're told was also uh, beat up and beat over the head significantly. Mark talks about the servant being beat over the head the second time. And some scholars believe that might be reference to John the Baptist uh, after, having his, after being beheaded. So that happens uh, once and then twice. We're told once he's beaten, he's sent away without any fruit. Uh, and then we're told uh, someone else is beaten over the head. And then we're told that someone else comes and they build, beat and kill that man as well. No deal. You're not getting any of the food, any of the fruit that we've prepared. 
go away and leave us alone. This happens many times. It's not just one or two many times, but it happens on multiple occasions that this man, the owner of the vineyard, sends his servants. Now I just want to pause here for a minute. Just pause here for a sec and I want to ask you a question in a sec. Can you imagine being the second servant that goes? Can you imagine knowing what's happened, right? You're responsible for this owner and the owner calls you in after you might have seen your mate, your fellow servant come along, come back, return from their journey where you're expecting to see an abundance of fruit and instead you see someone who's disheveled, beaten up and feeling miserable and poorly about themselves. Can you imagine what you must be feeling as you went into that space the second time? Can you imagine what you must be feeling after the master sent the third servant after the second one was beaten up and killed? Um, you know, many, many times. Imagine thinking about that uh, and participating in that. I don't know, I might be taking the story a bit too far, but it just grabbed my imagination, my attention. Imagine being the servant who was the second or third person who was sent trying to communicate and return some of the fruit. So anyway, servants have been sent. There's been no deal. There's been no fruit offered. Finally, the father says, I know. I will send my son because they will respect. They will honor my son. They will know he has come directly from me. He is part of my family. They won't mistreat or dishonor my son. Now, it seems to me that in the story that we're told, the uh, tenants see the son coming from a long way off. They recognize the son and they say, this is the son. Come, let's, uh, if we kill this man, we will uh, gain some of the inheritance. We will gain the inheritance. And so they take uh, the son and they kill him and they throw him out of the vineyard as well. And once Jesus has told this parable, he then says the capstone, the, sorry, the stone that the builders has rejected has become the capstone. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and this is wonderful in his eyes. And we're told that uh, the, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, they were looking for a way to kill Jesus. They went away trying to find a way to arrest him, but they were too afraid of the crowds. So they just left him there. Now I'd encourage you to go and uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions out of this text, but go and read the text again and imagine placing yourself in that story, which I'll ask you a little bit more later on to try and engage again the conversation and go as deeper into discipleship and asking what it might look like for us to apply this passage to our lives today. So this passage, many would believe and understand that this actually comes out of and has remnants of Isaiah chapter 5. There's such powerful imagery here about a vineyard and servants um, and, and being sent, those being sent, those being killed. This, of course, is the image of the people of Israel, uh, the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel uh, throughout history, not just most recently, not just in the last 30 years as Jesus has been watching, but indeed throughout the course of history. What is it that God has done? What is it that he has offered? What has he been asking in return? And if we've been following along the scriptures at any point in time, 
and if we've been follow, uh, followers of Jesus for a long period of time, we understand that God has poured himself out into us as his children so that we might know life. And we've broken that covenant. We've broken it and gone our own ways. And so he sent Jesus to restore that relationship. And finally, Jesus died on a cross so he could say, there is nothing else that can prevent us from entering into a right relationship with God. And he's overcome death. And there's, uh, Jesus has given us a new way of entering into a relationship fully and life-giving way with God. But this is what um, the prophet Isaiah says. Because many of us too, if you're watching for the first time, also believe that God is just this ruler. He's overbearing, he's demanding, he's just a rule giver and he's not very life-giving. But this is actually what Isaiah said so many thousands of years before Jesus. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. All right, so hear this in the parable. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. So there's fruit that will come from this. There's opportunity. There was, um, there was the promise of something. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. So here's the imagery. All right, here's the imagery. Here's the hope. Here's the promise. Everything has been set up to bear the fruit that God intended. Isaiah goes on in that chapter. You can go and look at the full chapter again. But in verse 7 of chapter 5, uh, the prophet writes, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. So imagine hearing that if you're a chief leader, if you're a scribe, if you've been in the temple for any period of time, you would, you would remember these words, you would know these words, and you would be hearing the words of Jesus and you're going, vineyard, tenants, fruit. Oh, this takes me back to the words of Isaiah. They'd be talking about this. This, this is the story of Isaiah. This is the warning of Isaiah here. Um, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. So the people that God has chosen, has drawn out, has called out, he has provided for them. He has cut out a way for them. He has placed them in a life-giving place where they would discover the abundance of life in him. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. God loves these people. God has given everything for these people. And he looked for justice but he saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So what's the fruit that God is looking for out of his people? What's the fruit that God is looking for from you and I? And as I read these words, they, they are powerful words that have really rocked me and challenged me in numerous ways. What does it look like to make things right for us today? What does it look like for us to be in relationship? Because I'm in relationship with God, I will do everything within my power, everything out of my relationship with God the Father, to make things right. That's the sense of justice, to restore things. To restore things that have been taken away. And if you think about, you know, you can think about any conversation that you might be having in your home, in the neighborhood, in the community, the things that are taken away from us. How do we go about restoring those things? And I know we're feeling like there's a lot that's been taken away from us at the moment. 
um, and the heart that we bring to that. So the, the nature of righteousness is about being in right relationships, God honouring relationships, relationships that have been established and nurtured and fed and watered out of the heart of God. It's a powerful image and a, an incredibly confronting demand. If you and I, if the church, that is those of us who have been part of the church for a long period of time, are God's vineyard, what is the fruit that we're producing in this season? Now I know there's times where we don't produce fruit. I know there's in-season, out-of-season, all those kind of things. And maybe that might be true for us in different stages of life. But what's the fruit that God is asking of you and I in this season? Are we making things right? Are we setting about in right relationships with one another, regardless of the diversity of opinions that might be around at the moment? The other important factor and the other important uh, phrase here is the stone that the builders have rejected uh, has become the cornerstone. Now, this is uh, some some translations might actually say uh, capstone. This is I've actually quoted Psalm 118. Uh, not Psalm 1118, as I've got listed there. Uh, Psalm 118, verse 22. You can find this text and the power of this text as well in Acts chapter 4, verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 6 to 8, and Ephesians 2, verse 20. This is a significant statement for the early church. All right? This, this uh, changed the way that they thought about it. Now, as I looked the word up, I got a little bit confused. Some of you will be a little bit more in tune with it. But the image that was given, as I think about the capstone, it's almost like a ceiling stone. The tiles on the peak of the roof, if you like, it's that, that's the capstone. But the, the Old Testament image, this word of the capstone, is also the, the keystone, if you like, in an, in a, in an archway. Or, and as obviously, is the stone that's put in the corner of a building that gives the mark point, the reference point for the rest of the building to ensure that it's got the strength. Now, there's a sense where I got a bit lost in it, a bit confused, and maybe I haven't done a great job at explaining it. However, I don't think it takes away the powerful image. Again, it goes back to the question that I'm asking us to consider today as we get into this text, because as we go through the rest of the mark, the rest of the Gospel of Mark, you'll hear the same question anytime I'm speaking and when Jared and maybe uh, Lockie speaking in a few weeks, but you'll see the same question as you read this text. What will you do with this, the risen Christ? That's it. If you want to sum up the next few weeks as we start to wrap up Mark and move to it, you and I have to choose what we do with him. And I don't care how long you've been part of the church. I don't care how long you think you've been reading scripture. If, it's, if he's not changing your life, you're not doing anything with him. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, and so, and if, if he's not marking every word, every thought, every attitude, he's not your anchor. He's not your alignment. And you're out of whack with him. And there's a place where we need to repent and return and be restored in relationship with him, which he's already made the way. We've just got to come to that place again of recognizing him and this is what this is what uh the the early church or luke writes in acts it's what peter writes it's what paul writes jesus sets us up again and man I, as i read this text we need to again be aligned and i know we need to again just have that anchor and alignment point in jesus who is he 
What is the attitude that he brings and demands of me? What is it that he shifts in me? What is the attitude that I'm not living out of right relationship or justice because I know God? And if you're watching this for the first time, maybe you're a bit lost in this world at the moment and you're, oh my goodness, this is really tough. Yeah, there is an element where it is really tough, but I tell you what, if you give your life to following Jesus, you will discover the promise of a life like you've never known before. I know there's lots of demands and lots of expectations and lots of voices in our world and seems to be more and more voices in our world. And I've known over the past few weeks in my own challenges, my own struggles, I've just got to come back and say, Jesus, what are you asking of me? Who are you calling me to be? What attitude are you asking me to communicate? How do I lead? How do I serve? How do I care? How do I love out of the same heart? And I'm not doing that perfectly. I know that. Absolutely. I'm not sitting here saying I've got it all right. I know that. But I want Jesus to be my anchor and my alignment point. Who do you want him to be in your life? And that leads me, I guess maybe I've jumped the gun, but I, I just really felt as I read through this test, text, not the test, although the tests start in what, December 8th or something? Looking forward to that. Um, where do you place yourself in the story? Maybe you feel like you're the man who's created everything. Maybe you feel like you've done a lot of building and maybe you feel like you're owed something. What does that look like to then turn that and say, well, actually, if God is the creator, I've put myself in authority over something that's not mine. Maybe you see yourself as the tenant. You know, you've done all the work for someone else and maybe you deserve a bit of the reward. Maybe, yeah, you should get angry and, and maybe, yeah, no one else has got any rights to come and take it from you or ask something from you or ask to do something different than what you want to do. And again, the same question applies. Therefore, who has authority over your life? Because the reality is everything that we have, ladies and gentlemen, friends, everything that we have, doesn't ultimately belong to us and it's designed to bear fruit that will reflect the kingdom of God he has put God has put everything in place for us that we would bear life giving fruit that will express his kingdom in this world and boy don't we need some expression of his kingdom in this world at the moment don't we need to bear the fruit? Maybe you feel like you're one of the servants that was sent. You know, you've been communicating the message um, at different times and you feel like nobody's paying attention. Maybe you feel like the son who's just given his life and you're not sure what it's for. Maybe you feel like one of the chief scribes, the Pharisees. You know, I've given my life to this uh, church. I've given my life to uh, my church. I've made it mine. I've given my life to serving this community. I've given my life. This is mine. And you're a bit rocked by Jesus saying, actually, this doesn't belong to you. You owe some fruit here. You, you're called to bear fruit here. And you're looking for ways to dismiss it or reclaim it and make it yours again. Or maybe you're just sitting there again as part of the crowd, just watching, not really being affected by it. Where do you sit in the story? Honestly, I, I, for me, there are times where I would honestly say that I'm a tenant. I'm someone who just does the work and then gets offended when I'm asked to bear some fruit or I, when the fruit's not recognised or when I don't see enough fruit. I get frustrated and I forget that God's planted something in me at times. At times I can feel like a bit of a servant and I go, man, I've been communicating this message in this community for 20 years. You know, why are we still doing this? Why are we still having this conversation? 
You know, you feel like you get a bit beaten up. Where do you place yourself in this story? This might be a great conversation to start discipling our children again, to say, well, where do you place yourself and what does that look like and what is God speaking to you about that? It's what I said a few weeks ago uh, before I went on holidays, just to invite you to place yourself, to consider who God is, to consider who we are in God and what that looks like for us. Where do you place yourself? And then what fruit do we bear? And I know this is a big question because when we talk about fruit, we often talk about the tasks or the outcomes. And I know that's, you know, I'd love to see outcomes. I'd love to see more people just calling up and saying, hey, I want to follow Jesus. You know, I've had a number of conversations with people over the last six months where we've talked about faith and life and some of the things happening in their world. And, you know, I love to see them just bawling and uh, come to that place of repentance and renewal and declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. You know, I long to create a church that, and, a, and a community of faith where, where, where we are gathering and we're empowering and releasing people and sending people out to, to declare the goodness of the kingdom of God and, and serving in ministry wherever we are and whatever we're doing, knowing that whether we're teachers or garbage collectors or nurses or administrators or assistants or, or aides or whatever role that we're serving in ministry, whether we're retired or grandchildren or grandparents looking after grandchildren, we're bearing fruit because we're uh, committing to placing and nurturing this vineyard wherever we are. But there are also seasons of rest and pruning and we recognise that. This can be very confusing and challenging because I know for me, maybe you do it easier and well done to you, where I can always be looking for outcomes and I've got to be reminded just to come back. I've got to be reminded of the text uh, from John 15 and Damien reminded us a couple of weeks ago, remain in me as I also remain in you. I can't bear fruit by myself. I've got to remain in Jesus. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Jesus. Jesus remains in the Father. Uh, we're called to remain in the Father through Jesus, through who Jesus was. And he reminds us to remain in him so that we can bear the fruit of the kingdom because God's given us all that we need. He's planted us. He's turned the soil over. He's built the fences. He's built the watchtower. And he's released us to work this soil, to plant the vineyard, to nurture the vineyard, to prune the vineyard, to, to cut it back, to rest in the vineyard, and then to enjoy the fruit of the labours of that vineyard as we go about living and serving our community. But it does very much depend on who has authority in our lives and how we align ourselves with him. So let me talk about the fruit. I know we can talk about the fruit and some, you know, I think it's important we talk about the fruit in terms of baptisms and our friends and our family coming to know and declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And I know many of you, many of you long to know and see that in our friends and our community. All of us as followers of Jesus long to do that. But I was drawn to the text from Galatians as I thought about uh, the fruit of justice and righteousness where Paul writes, um, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or, or that's patience, probably a bit deeper than patience in some senses. It's uh, releasing or sacrificing ourselves. It's 
being able to be patient with others as well as how others are navigating. It's, it's a, a bit stronger. Uh, love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you think if we're in a relationship with Jesus and we're demonstrating those things in this time, that that might actually express the fruit of God's kingdom? And I think it's one of the big challenges for us at the moment. Um, knowing the big conversations that are happening, knowing the division that's happening in our community, knowing the separation that's happening, the opposing opinions, the various research that people will pull up according to vaccinations or, and how that should be expressed and how we should move forward as a community. At the end of the day, who is it that will declare the kingdom of God? Who is it that will anchor themselves in Christ? Who is it that will align themselves with Christ? And regardless of what our opinions and our mindsets might be, what is the fruit of justice and righteousness that we will produce? If you follow in Jesus, are you a person, am I a person, who is producing fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control? Am I being that kind of person? Is Jesus the cornerstone, the anchor, the aligning point in my life, in my heart, in my thought, in my actions, in my responses to other people? And friends, you're going to hear this question a lot over the next few weeks. What will you do with Jesus today? Whether you've been following, and I've said this a few times already today, but whether you've been following Jesus and a part of your, the church for a long period of time, see, this is not my church, this is not your church. This is God's. And he's building it and he's working it out. And I have complete confidence in that and complete hope in that, and complete assurance in that. But that also requires of me that I need to submit again to his will, to his calling, to his purposes and to his love. And regardless if you've been following Jesus for a long period of time, we need to keep coming back to that place and go, God, I'm just resting in you. I'm abiding in you. You show me. You reveal to me. Where do I need to do the work today? How can I love someone? How can I express your kingdom, bear your fruit in this place today? And maybe you've never encountered, maybe you've never made that decision, but you're watching the world uh, fracture and implode and the challenges and you're being pushed and pulled and you don't know where your anchor is. You don't know how to rely on your life. I want to encourage you, maybe today is a day where you just go aside, you stop the video, you stop the live stream and you just draw aside and you come to this quiet place and you sit quietly and you might just want to say, Father, I don't, I'm not sure I know you. I want you to know you more. I confess that I haven't lived according to your ways. I confess that I'm often outside of your plans and your purposes. I want to discover more of your plans and your purposes. And I want to discover Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour again today. Would you come into my life? Would you fill my thoughts, my heart, my mind, my spirit, my words, my actions and transform every part of who I am as I seek to be anchored and aligned into your purposes so that I might bear your fruit. And if that's what you have done today, we'd love to know about that decision. You can contact us uh, at horsham.org.au and the contact page there. We'd love to hear your story. We'd love to hear your testimony. 
Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you know, you've had a revelation today. We'd love to hear your testimony of what that's meant for you and how, you've, how that's transformed you, remembering that we are made a new creation in Christ. This is a tough passage. This is a tough passage. And it's one that we're not always very comfortable with. Actually, there's a lot that we're not very comfortable with. But I trust that today, friends, that you might have been encouraged, that you might have been stirred and reminded of the work that God has done in you, that we might bear his fruit. Blessings.